Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. Today we are in chapter 3 still. And because it is no problem to remind you, it is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you, as Paul says, let's recap real quick. All right, where have we been? Because we've got some new folks in the house, um, or some folks that have been gone for a couple of weeks. The Apostle Paul is in Rome. He is under house arrest in prison of some type. Wrote, writes a bunch of letters, Galatians, um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all these, uh, these uh, what we call prison epistles. And in these letters, he's just kind of sending them out to different places. He sends one to a church in Philippi, the first church in Europe, the one he is uh, acquainted with, one he loves, one he knows all the people there. Um, they sent him a guy named Epaphroditus with some money and with some, some provision because he can't provide for himself in prison. And so he's just writing them back to thank them, to let them know how he is doing, uh, and ultimately to say, you guys, you guys loved on me well. You're concerned about me, but I'm concerned about you. I'm after your progress. I'm after your joy. Y'all don't need to worry about me because if I live, it's fruitful ministry. If I die, it's gain. I'm concerned about y'all, right? I, I want your joy and I want your progress. And as we've worked through the book, we've seen a couple little hints of what that looks like. And we've talked about humility and we talked about stopping complaining and we've looked at joy a couple times. And last week he warned us against uh, legalism and things like that, but he hasn't been super specific yet about really what, what is growth, what does progress look like? It, well, the rest of the book is going to kind of highlight that for us. He's going to get super specific. He's going to get super practical for us as we continue through this book. Every year, take our kids for their annual physical, all four of them, and you know, I'm, I'm anxious to hear how healthy they are, but I'm really anxious the thing I'm looking forward to the most after every doctor's appointment is, have they grown? <laughs> How much taller are they? Have, they? have they gotten any taller? Right? And they always, it's great. The doctor gives this little chart, you know, and it kind of goes like this usually. It didn't for me. Mine was just like, yeah, you know, but, but I'm hoping. And, I, and, and this year we got the charts back and I'm so glad because I look down and I see, these two are in the 50th percentile. That's the greatest thing. I still got one. He's like the 12th percentile. We're watering him at night and stuff just to try to figure it out. I mean, the day my oldest, he, he finally was over. He was taller than me. It was the greatest day. It's, it's, it's like graduating from college for me, for him. Uh, because I, don't, I live with them every day. I don't see them growing. And so what I need is every, every year, I need to kind of see the chart, the see. They've grown it all. question for us this morning is, some of you have been Christians for a while, have you grown? I mean, have you grown? You say, well, I'm, you know, read my Bible this week. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know if that counts. Is, is, that, is that growth? I mean, what does growth look like? How do you know? Because it's like physical growth. We don't see it per se. It's slow. What are the, what are the marks of a growing Christian? What does the chart say? Well, that's what the apostle is going to help us see today. Because it's, it's like he's going to bring out the chart to show the marks of growth. And, and it's, not a, it's not as much a process of A plus B equals growth. That's not where he's going. But in showing some of these marks of growth, he's actually going to show us some of the processes too. Right? And again, I'm not saying plug in the formula you grow. But there are some things that we can, we can do to, to, to progress in the faith. Right, and so that's where he's going to go today. So we're going to look at it. In chapter 3, we're going to work through verse 12 through the end of the chapter. And, and he really, this, this, this portion kind of just picks up where last week left off. He had talked about attaining the resurrection, getting to the resurrection. Right? That, that's his goal. And, and what you have to understand, this is important for you all, especially if you're a new Christian or you, you, know, you haven't been in Christianity for a while. There's, when we talk about salvation, that's a big loaded word, right? And there's really three different aspects of your salvation. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. The past is when you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you were, big fancy word, justified. 
that you were declared legally righteous in the eyes of God. That's a, that's a past event. And you, at that point, that you escape the penalty of your sin. You deserve wrath. You get heaven. You get Christ. There's a future aspect, right, where one day Jesus will return. And this is what he's talking about last week. He's going to return. He's going to give you a new body. He's going to give you a new everything. You're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. That is called, big fancy word, glorification, right? That's glorification. It's in the future. And that's what he's just mentioned. And he also mentioned, by the way, justification. He talked about, I have righteousness that was by faith, not by works. So what about in the middle? All right, what's this? This is what, again, big fancy word number three, it's called sanctification. Where you are escaping the power of sin in your life. Where you are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. Justification, I escape the penalty of my sin. Sanctification, the power of of sin in my life, glorification, one day I'll escape the very presence of sin, right? So big, big kind, of, kind of foundation for us because he has just mentioned that glorification piece. He's just said, I'm going for the resurrection. I can't wait. That's exactly where he picks up, okay? And he's gonna talk about today this area, this growth area, this, this area called sanctification. So let's pick up verse 12. Here's where he says, Verse 11, he says, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And let's just stop there. That's a great statement, isn't it? The Apostle Paul says, I'm striving for the day when I'm going to be perfect. But I'm not there. In fact, I'm broken. I got issues. I complain still. I'm not always happy in my jail cell. I got issues. I'm broken. I, I, I got ill feelings towards people. I am not there yet. I don't know about you. That makes me happy. Right? right? That makes me happy. Hearing the Apostle Paul say, I'm not there. And I know some of you come from a background. Actually, a lot of you come from a background or a church background where you were taught that if you progress in the Christian life, eventually you could get up to a point of sinlessness, right? So if you went to a church that John Wesley was your dude, that was John Wesley, all right? He was a great songwriter, he was a great preacher, and he was wrong on this one, right? Because if Paul, if anyone could have got there, besides the Lord Jesus who was perfect already, but if anyone could have arrived, who would it have been? This guy? Walking with the Lord for almost three decades. I mean, look at his resume. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. He, his, who shared the gospel with him? Jesus shared the gospel with him. You got that in your resume? Uh, beaten for the name of Christ. How many churches does he plant? Like, all of them? All right? He wrote a couple books. One of them was called Romans. Anyone got Romans on your resume? All right, if anybody would have gotten there, it would have been Paul. And he says, I'm not there. And guess what? I'm not going to be there either. Isn't that great? And the goal is not so you can say, well, great day in the morning. If Paul's not going to get there, then what hope is there for me? That's not his heart here. His, he's actually encouraging these people. Hey, I'm not there. Isn't that great? Because he is modeling maturity. He's modeling for the church what maturity looks like. And here's the first mark. Here's the first thing on the growth chart, right? You want to know if you're growing, you want to see what a mark of maturity it is? It's this. It's that you don't pretend, you don't act like, you don't project that you've arrived. That's the first thing. That you are, are not projecting something that's not a reality. And I know this is countercultural for some of your Christians because you come from a, a Christian tradition where you gotta pretend that you got it all together. So the kids gotta look perfect. Matching church, matching ties, matching everything, and everyone facing front, and everyone not sleeping. And if, you know, that's kind of the way because we gotta project that we got it all together. Because we don't want anyone to know that we were just fighting about the last bowl of Frosted Flakes in the minivan on the way over. 
So shut up and worship. That, that's the idea, right? And Paul says, what is this shiny, happy people stuff? I've been walking with Christ for three decades. I've wrote half the Bible, done more than anyone else. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be. Right? And it's because in William Cain's favorite quote, he wishes he said it, but he didn't. Someone else did, but he quotes it. That the best of men is still men at best. Right? He's still just Paul. Broken dude. And if you are a, look, if you're one of those people out there that you're a perfectionist, how many of you all out there? A couple of you, a couple of honest people. There you go. I see that hand. How many of you married a perfectionist? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see it. Because <laughs> you're going to get a fight now. Cause conflict in the church. If you're that person, this is going to drive you nuts. Because you like your little boxes. Breakfast box, check. Clean, dusted, laundry, check. Took the kids to school, check. Email, check. Sanctification, check. Don't, don't work that way. You better pencil that one in, Bubba. I mean, if you're, the, if you're the mom who you just want your kids to always be perfect, and so it is horrifying when you're at the Publix and that kid just knocked four boxes of, of cereal on the floor and everyone saw it, and you're like, oh. <laughs> they know. Yeah, they know that your kid's like Fruity Pebbles. Oh. Right? I'm so worried about projecting something. We don't have it together. And what you're doing ultimately if this is you, you're preaching a false gospel to yourself and to other people. Because what you're saying ultimately is, is God likes the, the beautiful people, the people that have it all together, the people that never struggle. You read the scripture. You see how many people, how many of the beautiful people are actually ever greatly used by God? And who does God end up using? The adulterer, David. The, the girl from the other side of the tracks, Ruth. The, the coward Gideon, the long-haired hippie Samson, the runaway prophet Jonah, the short, greedy dude Zacchaeus. Did I have a short people? I mean, who does he use? He doesn't use the perfect, altogether people. In fact, that's the point. It's not, the Bible is not about human cleanliness. It is about God's grace. And so this idea that we're going to get there, you just got to try real hard. How did you get into this deal in the first place? By recognizing that you were broken, that you deserved the wrath of God, that you were separate, and there was nothing you could do to get to him. And all of a sudden, now you're good? Right. And, and so I just, if we come to a place where you think that you've arrived, I am now varsity. Give me the jacket. Put a pin on it. I've arrived. Got nothing else to learn. I got one thing for you, humility. Because the Christian life, it's just, it's an ongoing learning and repenting and being humble. And yeah, I'm, te I'm doing okay over here and I've grown some over here, but I'm real weak over here and I've learned some things and I've applied some things, but I'm still not applying it over here. That's the Christian walk. And you will never get there until glorification. Never. And, and when you think you... When you think you will, it, it's, a, it's a false narrative. It's a false gospel. I mean, if you could get there on your own, then why do you need a Savior? Why do you need, why do you need Jesus? And, and even more dangerous than thinking that I'm good is projecting that I'm righteous. It's a false projection. I'm, I'm learning tons of good lessons at the dog park lately. It's my sanctifying area. And so I take Milton the dog, to the dog park last week. And there is this, this gorgeous, beautiful dog. This is Doverman. I mean, it's shiny. It's like shining like the sun. It's like has the Shekinah glory coming off of its hair. <laughs> and it's got this like great, cool, spiked collar. I mean, it's just an impressive animal. And it just looked at me and it could see that I was dumb. It's just like... It read my mind, like, you don't have anything to say here. And he just walked away. 
And he's doing tricks, and the owner is kind of like, he's being real kind of showy and like, come here, you know. And all the other dogs are coming up and sniffing at him, and he, and he won't move because he's telling him, you know, he tells some command in like German or something, I don't know. And, and the dog won't move, he's just sitting there like, I mean, it, and everyone just feels bad. Because I look down at Milton, <laughs> and his tail's going like this, and I, I look into his mind, and the only thing he's thinking is, where am I going to lift my leg next? What acorn can I eat? I mean, that's what's going on in his mind. And my thought initially was, I'll never, my dog will never be like that. <laughs> and there's guilt and shame. <laughs> but see, that's the problem with projecting, with going out and showing how good your Doverman is. Right? You think it's helpful. It's not. It's actually hurtful. It's hurtful to the rest of us looking at you saying, well, we'll never be like you. And the reality is you're fighting over Frosted Flakes in the minivan. But you're pretending you're not because you've got to be good. And you're hurting your kids because they will never live up to your expectations. And you're going to be joy have no joy and they're going to have no joy. And you're never going to have really close friends because you're always going to keep them at a distance because if they get too close, they're going to see that I'm a mess. It's just hurting you and everybody else, right? And that's why Paul is modeling and he is saying, look, I am not perfect, right? I'm not, and I'm okay with that. I've got a Savior who is. So just, just some thoughts for you, thoughts to consider if maybe you're, this is your deal. Just things like this. Why do, you, why do you do what you do? Do you do it so that other people will see it? Or you're so worried about what they might think. Oh my goodness, if they get in my car and I have 98.7 the river. I was listening to Delilah last night. I don't want them to know that. I was singing Journey hard. You feel guilty? You worried about what other people think? Are you free to listen to that or not? I mean, we, we always worry. It's funny because my kids, they go to this great school downtown. Love our school. It's awesome. It's a classical Christian school. And um, it's rooted in, in, a, in a Westminster confession of faith and very Presbyterian. And it's, it's funny because I'm not Presbyterian. You know that. Um, and so, <laughs> so last week, so one of the guys comes up to me and says, yeah, you know, you know I won't say which kid because it's probably all of them. But he says, you know, they don't have unmatching socks. And I'm like, Yeah, you're lucky they got socks on, buddy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you're telling me? And, I, and it was like, a, you know, and I was like, oh, my goodness, they don't care. I'm like, you're right, I don't care. Isn't it great? It's, it's great to not care sometimes about what people think. And I'm not saying go out and be obnoxious because that's not what, that would not be honoring. But in the end, there's only one person that you were to live in light of and one person that you were to live in front of, and that is the Lord Jesus. And that is the only one that matters. Doesn't mean go out and look and act like a moron. Doesn't mean act, you know, obnoxious. But it does mean he's the only one that matters because in the end, you are going to stand before him and not everyone else. And he is going to evaluate. Right? So live in light of that. Don't worry about what everyone's thinking. It's okay. You can't impress everybody. You don't have to. You're never called to. Why do you do things? Here's another question. How do you receive criticism? You can always just kind of push it off. You always have a reason, and that's not true. And no, you don't really understand. No, it's your, really your fault. You mean, you mean you cussed me out, and it's my fault? You mean I made your mouth move like this and say those nasty words? I do you always blame? You don't receive it. Why? Because you're perfect, and you're the expert. Do you ever ask for advice? Or are you always the one that has to give it? You've got to give you. This is how we do it in our house. This is, yeah, yeah. When people ask you things like, how can we pray for you? Is it always surfacey kind of things that never get into your... It's like, oh, you can pray for traveling mercies. We're going to Publix later. <laughs> is that as deep as you ever get? Right? I mean, these are signs that you're trying to portray something that's not true. If, if, you, if you are acting like you're better than you are, acting perfect, right, that, that's not joy. You're, not, you're never going to be joyful there. Right? 
this is, if, if we'll get this, church, it is so freeing because you, you don't pretend anymore. If, look, if you have a struggle, we want to know about it. Your pastors, your elders, we want to know. Don't, don't keep it hidden. Come talk to me. Come talk to some of our elders. We got folks that can help, but come talk. Don't hide and pretend you got all, everything's good until it's, it's so disastrous that there's nothing we can do. Come talk. Because if, if we get this as a church, it's, it's freeing to each other. You don't have to come to impress. You know, when the guy next to you, he, he's, he's just there, and you're, all, you're not worried about if he's raising his hand or not raising his hand, or if he's got his Bible, or if he's got his, just It's freeing. And then if, if he messes up, I don't have to be so shocked. Oh, I can't believe you did that. It can be more like, yeah, that's what I expect. Because you're broken. I'm a knucklehead. You're a knucklehead. That's what knuckleheads do. And we can show grace to one another and encourage one another rather than be, oh, I can't believe they did that. This is, this is what maturity looks like. Right? It's a group of people that, that haven't arrived, but we're looking for the day that we will. Right? That's the first thing he said us. But just because we haven't arrived and we won't arrive doesn't mean we just sit around and, well, we're not going to be perfect anyway. What does he say next? Look at again the verse. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but, in the circle of that, it's a contrast, I press on to make it my own. Right? I'm doing something. I'm pressing on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He later in verse 14 again says, I press on towards the goal. See, this, just because we're not going to be perfect doesn't mean we just sit around and woo. Physical growth happens just because. You eat, you sleep, you're taller. Right? Then you get old, you start shrinking, and you grow hair in your ears. That's the way it works. Spiritual growth, that's, it, it doesn't just happen. You don't stumble into godliness. Oh, well, I woke up one day and I was mature in my faith. That is not the way it works. All right? It's, it's, it just doesn't happen that way. Okay, there's, it comes because there is an active pursuit. And this is the second thing on the chart, is if we're going to be growing, a mark of a growing Christian, a mark of a mature Christian, is that they're not complacent. They're not just sitting around, whatever. All right? We're just going to stumble into the kingdom. There's a pursuit because if Christ is so valuable, the surpassing knowledge of it, as we saw last week, that we're pursuing him. And, and ultimately, I, see, I want you to see why Paul does this. Because it's not just so we can be a good, happy little Christian. What does he say? I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm doing this because I was lost and now I'm found. Because I was an enemy, now I am prized. Because I was just an object of his wrath and now I am loved. He has lavished me with his grace. I am his. Therefore, I press forward. Now, brothers, I, I don't consider that I have already made it my own. But one thing I do, and I love Paul. He says, one thing I do. And he lists like eight things. He says, one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies behind. He's using, lies ahead, he, he's using running language, athletic language. He says, I forget what's behind me. And it doesn't mean he can't remember yesterday what he had for breakfast. That's not what he's talking about. Because he's called us to remember things. And Jesus says, take this in remembrance of me. And there's altars and there's things in the past that we remember it's not forgetting everything. The idea is this. I am straining forward. I am racing. I am a runner. And I am not going to turn around because if I turn around, what happens? I lose. I've only won one race in my entire life. Right? I was a junior in high school, and I, I led pretty much the whole race, and the coach kept saying, don't look back. Don't look back. And I thought there was a guy like right behind me the whole time, and I was scared to death. And so I just wouldn't look behind me. I just kept going. And then I finished the race, and I looked behind me, and like, the guy's like a minute and a half behind me. I'm like, what in the world, dude? I was so scared that he was going to pass me, because, but I wouldn't look back. That's the heart here. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to look at my past. How many of you have got a past? Almost all of us have a past. Right? And, and, and some of us just need to forget the past. Yes, you were divorced. Yes, you had the abortion. Yes, you act like a knucklehead in college. Yes, you wasted those years with your young children. Yes, you did all those things. Yes, you did drugs. Yes, you're an alcoholic. Yes, we get that. But that doesn't mean you cannot win the race still. Forgetting what lies behind. 
I, I press on. That is not going to slow me down from that. And it's not that we don't learn from that. It's not that we don't deal with those things. But it is interesting that every counselor always wants to dwell back there. Well, when you were in uh, third grade and you misspelled cat at the spelling bee, how'd that make you feel? Like an idiot? Well, you will, yeah. <laughs> when you were in the womb, did you, did, was it upset you that your mom didn't drink Kool-Aid and she only drank Tang? I mean, we're always talking about that, Right? And it's not that we shouldn't deal with our past. And it's not that our past doesn't influence it. But what Paul is saying is what should influence you more as a Christian is your future. Your future should influence you more than your past. Because you're pressing forward, right, towards the prize. And if you're, if you're feeling, oh, I, I, but I did this, what you need to go back to is what he says right here in verse 12. And you need to write your name in there. Christ Jesus made me his own. You. That you are his. Yeah, but I did. Yeah, yes, you did that. You are his. And so this doesn't have to keep you from going there anymore because you are a blood-bought child of the living God. So you don't have to, oh, you know, woe is me. Right? And it's not just we forget the, the past and the negative things, we also need to remember that the victories need to be laid behind because sometimes those past victories can hinder us. Well, I've done this a thousand times before. I've taught this before. I've gone here. And it's those who, who think they stand need to take heed lest they fall. You need new grace. Yes, that was grace and you had a victory, but you need new grace tomorrow. So he says, anything that is back here, I, I'm not gonna let that slow me down from, from running the race, from striving I press on, verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. And again, where is this rooted? It's rooted in grace. It's rooted in the call of God. Not your call of God. Not me calling out to God. It's God's call to you. Because God chose you. It's God's call. It's, it's grace. It's all rooted in grace. And what I, what I want you to understand is this. God saved you from the penalty of your sin. God will one day save you from the presence of sin and glorify you. But that doesn't mean he just kind of leaves you here in the middle to kind of fend for yourself. Well, yeah, I just got to do it here. I got to grow. I got to grow. No, your growth is not something you can do on your own. Your growth is grace. In fact, you cannot even grow yourself. It is, you can water and you can sow a little bit over here, but it is God that brings the growth. Right? It's rooted in grace. Does it mean we just sit back? No. You have a role to play. How many commands in the New Testament? Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Sow to the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh. Run with endurance the race set before us, setting aside weight and sin that so easily entangles us, fixing our eyes on Christ, the perfecter of our faith. Right? All sorts of things. Put on the armor of God, resist the devil, labor. I love that, that Paul often uses the word labor because labor is hard. He talks about laboring in preaching and teaching. I'm like, amen. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. He talks about the labor of loving people. Sometimes it's hard to love people, isn't it? I mean, it just is. He talks about striving in prayer. As if it's, it's, it's sometimes you have to strive and it's not easy. It's hard. It is. Let's own it. It's not always easy. Sometimes you, it's not easy to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Does that sound easy? It's hard. But that doesn't mean we don't sit back. Yes, sometimes you got to fight. Christians, so many Christians, you know, we just, well, I'm so, I'm so weak. I struggle. Wah, wah, wah. I got all these things. Sometimes you got to fight. Sometimes you got to strain. Sometimes it's like Rocky. In Rocky 2, he's like, I can't play Apollo. I can't fight Apollo. And he needs his wife to say, win. I want you to win. And then the music comes on and he starts training and he wins. That's what you need, Christian. Put the music on up there. Come on. We need the Rocky music right now sometimes. We don't have that one, but we need, we need to get it. <laughs> All right. Struggle! Come on. I mean, you need that sometimes to fight. 
We need, we need to get out there and stop. Uh, yes, you have a past. Yes, you have struggles. Yes, you have weaknesses. And you have an ocean of grace at your disposal. Right? The calling of God. He has made you his own. So fight. Don't be complacent. Strive to know him. Hey, this is how mature people think. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This is maturity. And if, anything, if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What he's saying is, if you think maturity is circumcision or religion or doing all these other things, he said, God will show you the truth. I'm right. This is maturity. That's what he's saying. God will show those who, who contradict what we're saying. Maturity is not thinking you're perfect. Maturity is, is not being complacent. It's, it's holding true to what we have attained, as he says. That's maturity. Right? That's it. And here's a, here's a kind of application question for you. What's one thing, just one thing maybe, this week you can do to, to strive in Christ? To, to pursue him. I'm not talking about thousand things. This is a long distance race. It's endurance. It's not a sprint. What's one thing? One. Maybe it's beautiful weather now. It's not 9,000 degrees out. How about just on your morning break or at your lunch, skip the taco and just go on a mini, go down to Lake Mayor or go down to, you know, one of the parks, the beautiful Forsyth, and just walk and think and walk and talk to God and walk and ask him to impress on you just to speak. This is a personal relationship. This is not some distance thing. God wants you to love him with your whole heart and soul and mind. And so how do you, how do you cultivate a relationship? You talk. How about do that once this week? Just one day. That's one thing. Or maybe turn the TV off. 30 minutes early at night. Go to bed 30 minutes earlier so you can wake up 30 minutes earlier and just spend a few moments reading through the Psalms or reading through the Gospels. Right? It's just, it's just that that's going hard. Right? Or maybe it's just that one area. You got that one area that is it's your issue. Maybe it's your temper. And you're just, you're just grumpy. And you fly off the handle real easy. And so you just, you're going to, you need to write a plan out. Look, if, you, if you're aiming at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. you got to come up with a plan here. Okay, I have this temper issue. I yell at everybody in, in, in parking, and, and I stick my hand out the window and make gestures that, that are not friendly. So what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm sorry. Are you going to take action? Okay, I'm going to put a verse right here, right in the front, that says, love is patient. So as soon as I'm rolling down the window and putting my arm out, I have to see love is... And I'm going to roll the window back in. <laughs> right? Or maybe I'm going to, because I'm always frustrated when I come home with work, I'm going to go for a five-minute kind of walk before I go in the house. Just so I can... I mean, it's just... Again, if you're not shooting for something, you're going to hit it. Maybe, maybe you got debt and you're like, man, I don't even know where to start. Just... Shoot, in three months, we're going to pay off this one credit card, and we're going to celebrate, and then we're going to go after the another. It's just one thing, right? Maybe I, I want to improve in my prayer life, so I'm actually going to set aside time in the car. I'm going to turn the radio off, and this is the plan. I'm going to spend that time on my way to office praying for my, my two kids. and, and You've got to have a plan. Otherwise, we're just kind of complacent. You're not going to stumble into godliness, y'all. You're just not. You're not going to grow just because of time. I promise you. You'll just be like me, five, six. Right there. That's not what we want to be. Right? So our chart, first thing, growth. Recognize you're not there. Don't pretend you are. Second thing, there's no complacency. We're, we're, we're pursuing Christ and the value of knowing him. Next thing, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Real simple, real quick point. It kind of seems interesting that Paul says, I'm not there, but then he says, follow me. Isn't it kind of interesting? 
It's just not kind of false humility. It's real similar to what he says to the Corinthian church where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the idea. It's just follow my example as I follow the Lord Jesus. And, and here, here's kind of a real simple principle but it, it, of maturing is this. Is this follow good examples? And by the way, if you think you've arrived, you won't follow good examples because you'll think you're the example, right? So these all go together. But look, I mean, if you're like, okay, I'm a, I'm a new dad and I, I want to be a good dad, you know what you do? Go find a guy who's got teenagers and above and he's a good dad and go say, hey, I want to take you to lunch and I'm going to pay for you and I, and, and I want to I ask you some questions. And come with some questions. Don't just come and say, well, tell me about being a dad. I mean, don't, do, don't waste his time. Come, you know, come together with some questions. I got five questions, okay? I want to ask you, what'd you do here? What'd you do here? How'd you do dating? How did you do... What did you do? I want to learn. You're a newlywed, and you're still fighting over temperature and toothpaste caps and, you know, $7 spent on hair color or whatever. And you're like, I don't want to fight about those things. Go grab a couple that's been married 26 years. Say, we're going to take you out to dinner at McDonald's. <laughs> we're broke. Get the dollar menu, please. <laughs> and we just want to ask you some questions. Right? You're weak in prayer. You're like, man, I, you're going to go hang out with that lady over there because she's a warrior. Right? I'm going to go talk to her. You, you, you're, not a, you're not such a good servant. You're going to go hang out with this, this family over here because they're super hospitable. You're going to learn. Right? You're like, I got, I got, a, I got a problem with alcoholism. We got a ton of guys and gals that have, that was their issue and they've been dry and they would love to sit with you and tell you what's going on in their life. You got a gambling issue? Lose too much money on George every Saturday? We got a guy. Put you with him. I mean, it's, you learn from good examples, right? You're a young teenager. You're like, oh, I don't want to go down this path over here. Well, go look for the guy that's not on that path and go hang out with him. Go to a football game with him. Go to the gathering with him, go whatever. But you, you gotta follow good examples. And if you're arrogant and you think you've arrived and you know it all, or you're complacent, you won't. That's why this is dependent on the first two, right? This is, this is maturity, right? The growth chart. You're not arrived, you're pressing forward, you're looking for good examples. Then one more thing. Here's how he closes. And he's talked about good examples, now he's gonna talk about bad. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says there's, people, there's, confess, there's professing believers to follow and there's professing believers to not follow because this group over here, they says one thing and they do another. Right? They say they're a follower of Christ. They say he's their God, but they're not. And he says, I'm telling you with tears, y'all. Why? Because it breaks his heart that there's peoples in the church. He says, look at the, look at the wording, underline it. They are enemies of the cross. And if I say, hey, how many enemies of the cross out there today? I don't think anyone's going to raise their hand. No one's going to volunteer. I'm an enemy of the cross. No, they're not going to say it. But their life proves it. Yeah, they go to church. But Jesus is not their God. Their God is their belly is what he says. It's their appetite. It's just living for them. And they glory in it. They don't care. They come to church and then they go do their own thing. They don't care what Jesus says about, about purity. They don't care what Jesus says about drunkenness. They don't care about what Jesus says about, about money. They have no care. They do, what they do their thing. Their mind is set on earthly things. And go back to the very first part of that verse. What's their end? Their end is destruction. It's hell. They say this, but this is where they are going. Right? And he says, he says it with tears. He says it with tears. There's, there's people in the church. They're, all they think about is here, here, here. They don't care. Their God is not Jesus. But then he goes and he contrasts it, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Here's our verse. And from it, from heaven, we await and, and the word there is eagerly awaits, anxiously awaits. It's like a kid on Christmas Eve. He's anxiously waiting for the next morning. He's on his, he's on his toes looking. He's, we anxiously await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. And when he comes, what's he going to do? He's going to transform our lowly body. 
Right? Some are more lowly than others, but either way, our lowly body will be transformed to be like his glorious body. How? By his power. Right? That's what is he talking about? He's talking about that future. He's talking about glorification. That's coming for those who are citizens of heaven. That's where we're going. That's, that's our hope. That is our future. Right? We eagerly await it. Are you ready for that? I mean, really. Do you ever think about it? Our, our family has been sick for like three weeks. We've had 105 fevers and we're on all sorts of medicine. It's been like, and it reminded me, you know what? I am so ready to be done. I'm sick of sickness. Think about sick of sickness. Some of you, you know, all we had is this little strep and pneumonia, whatever else. I mean, are you, are you not sick of cancer? Some of your parents have dementia. Have, are you not sick of going in and, and seeing your mom and she don't know your name? Are you not sick of hearing about shootings and sword-wielding guys and, and all this trash? Aren't you sick of sinning? Anyone sick of sinning like temptation and struggling? And man, I can't believe I did it again. I just preached like three minutes ago. Aren't you sick of it? And I'll tell you what. Sometimes I'm not, but sometimes I am. I'm ready to be done with crying and goodbyes. I am ready to be transformed into the, to the new me by Christ. And that, that's, that's our hope, y'all. To be with Christ. To celebrate. Have you, do you ever think about that? I mean, really, do you ever think about heaven? And if you don't, I mean, you know, honestly. If you do not, let me tell you why. Because you love this world. You do. Because if you never think of that, that means you're thinking of something else. And you love this world too much. And I'm not saying that God doesn't give good things. We've been talking about this. They were to enjoy God and the things he's given. But you, you enjoy those in light of that. You ever think about that? Can you, do you think about what it's going to be like when we're all together, the billions of Christians who have ever lived at the marriage supper of the Lamb? I mean, really. You're going to Sit around. I think I don't know how long that thing's gonna last, but I'm thinking it's gonna be a couple thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand years. That party, it's gonna be jam on y'all. I mean, you're gonna get to talk to everybody. You can see everyone that's gone before you. You're gonna get to hang out with cool people. You're gonna get to hear their stories. You're gonna be laughing and smiling, and there's gonna be joy. There's gonna be new food, and there's gonna be new wine, or for you Baptists, new Welches, and we're gonna celebrate <laughs> forever. And at, at the head of the table, everyone's going to be toasting the lamb who was slain forever. That's just the first 15 million years. Right? Do you think about it? Here, here's the last mark. Is that ultimately the mature, those who are growing, they're looking forward to going home. They're looking forward to that new Body. They're looking for the resurrection. That's what Paul's shooting for. Isn't it? He's been talking about it for two weeks. We've been talking about it. And if you love this place, you won't love that place. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I did it first service. I saw this this week. It was helpful for me. So I'm, I'm stealing it from another preacher who, that's what we do, us preachers. We steal from each other, so that's all right. It gets passed around. Imagine this rope. Okay, this rope is a timeline. And, and it, go, that, it has a spool there and it runs out eventually. But imagine this timeline. It never ends. It just keeps going around the school, you know, around the building, around the earth. It just keeps going and going and going. It is the timeline of eternity. All right? This little green part, this represents human history. All right? All like 6,000 years of it. You know, you know, from Adam to you. Here you are right here. Boop. Now, here's what we do. We spend all our time right here, right here, thinking about, ooh, I'm going to save for that so I, can, so I can do this. 
Oh, it's got four-wheel drive and leather. Ooh. Oh, and, and he's cute, and he might ask me to the dance. Ooh. And, and we spend all our time thinking about your little dot that's like right there. And you got all this that goes around the earth a thousand times, and that's just the beginning of eternity. And what Paul is saying is, why do you love this so much? Because here's the sad truth. What you do with your little dot determines how you will spend all of this. You realize that? Right? What you do with your little, boom, that was you. That's all of eternity is dependent on that. So why are you going to love this? Why are you going to love this so much? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't. I love Jesus so much, I'm going to suffer to live as Christ, to die as gain. Right? Because I promise you, one day when you stand before Christ, and you will. You say, well, I don't know about that. No, you will, <laughs> whether you admit it or not. When you stand before Christ, you, if you're, I promise you, you're not going to say, man, I'm so glad I watched five hours of TV every night. That was so fruitful. Man, that was good. And I got to the top level of Call of Duty. That was, woo, that's going to go on to eternity. Right? I promise you, you won't. And I got some great, I, I collected seashells for 13 years. And look at my, you know, no one's going to care. No one's going to care at that point. You only got one race to run, y'all. And you don't know when your race ends. You have no clue. None of us do. Could go on another 15. It could be done tomorrow. Some guy could be texting and driving on the Truman. Crossover, your race is over. One race. Run with endurance. Don't love the green part. Right? Rejoice in God in that green part. Enjoy the gifts he's given. But live for the rest. Love the, love the return. Here's what Paul says. He says, I love the return. He says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, also to all those who loved his appearing. Do you love the appearing of Jesus? Love it. Live for it. Right? And here, we're going to move to worship, and we're going we're gonna to sing some songs, and, and you're going to go out the door. Right, and you're gonna maybe some of you are gonna check the church box. I hope you don't, but here's what I want you to think about. What have you done this week that made it to eternity? That had an eternal value. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I didn't share the gospel with anybody, and woo, bad week for me. I'm doesn't have to be big, glorious thing. In fact, I would argue that maturity understands it's not the big, glorious things, it's the little things that make the difference. It's the small things that no one sees. It's you showing up tomorrow morning at work, representing the fact that you've been made in the image of God to work hard, and that you are doing so, so that God will be honored. That goes on to eternity. It's you sitting down with those little kids when there's a scraped knee and giving a big old hug and loving them with the arms of Christ and squeezing them and telling them it's going to be okay. That goes on into eternity. It's that $40 that you send. comes out of your checking account. You don't even see it anymore. If it goes to some, some orphan in Africa or in Haiti and you're providing meal and medicine for them, what does God say about the widow and the orphan? Or to care for them? Those things go on ahead. It's your teammate blew it, lost the game, out of the playoffs, and you go up to him and you give him a hug and say, love you, bro. It's okay. That encouraging little note card that you send to someone that lifts their spirits. It's you back in the two-year-old nursery wiping a nose. No one sees it. You're doing it for Jesus. It's that person is in traffic and they have their verse on the front. Love is because they just brought their arm in the, in the window. And there's a car that wants to get out. And they know that Jesus wants them to let that car in. And they let them in. Right? It's that. It's you standing in front of the sink 
and it's piled this high with dishes and it's not your week. It's your roommate's week. You did your job last week, but you know that Jesus is telling you, do their dishes for them. Do their dishes. That goes on ahead, right? It's taking the little ones out for a daddy date to go get a blizzard, right? Because they want some time with daddy. It's those little things. You say, well, those are just little. Those are insignificant. You mean insignificant like a cold cup of water? Insignificant? Because here's what Jesus says, and I'll close with this. Whoever gives one of these little ones, speaking of children, a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, which means because he's doing it because of me, because he's a follower of Christ. He, does, he gives a cold cup of water to a little kid just because he loves me. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's just a cup of water. Exactly. Let's be a church, y'all, that lives not for the little green, but for eternity. Let's be a church that comes recognizing our need. Let's be a church that's striving to know Christ more. Let's be a church that's modeling for each other so that we can build one another up. That's the church God wants us to be. We pray, we'll worship. You guys stand with me. Father, I pray for our church. Keep us from, from pride and arrogance. Let the marks of humility be on us, the neediness that we have for you. I pray, more importantly, Lord, as we leave, that you would do a work in us, that you would just show us our neediness for you, but yet that we are yours. I pray for growth. I pray for maturity in our church. I pray that people would be building into one another in community groups and relationships and, and modeling and following and stirring up uh, each other to love and good deeds. And I pray for a ch- that we would be a church that, that just like the early church, when, when it says, Maranatha, Lord, even so come, Lord Jesus, that we would be looking for and hastening the day of Christ. And because of it, what sort of people ought we to live in and conduct in holy living? That, that that's, that's our drive because we know any day our race could end. And so, Lord, just let us strive for that, for your name's sake and for your glory. Let your people love you and draw near to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.